You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Have you ever watched a movie and kind of partway into it or halfway into it, you realize this was a mistake. Why are we watching this? Has that ever happened to you? I struggle to, to shut things off, but uh, this happened to me a couple of weeks ago. We were watching a movie. It was the second, like in a series, and we watched the first one. The first one was like, okay, whatever, not really that good of a movie, but it was a sequel kind of thing, kind of a, uh, a younger movie, if you will, a younger audience. So we got to the second one, in the first scene, they, they, like these, the heroes of the movie kind of get out of the helicopter and they're running into this stronghold and being ushered out. And, and it's nighttime and it's storming and everything. And I see these people coming kind of out of the hills and out of the mountains. And I'm like, are those zombies? I think those are zombies. Is this a zombie movie? I've never seen a zombie movie before. Is that what we've got? And we keep going along like we're in the side and there's drama, there's bad guys. And finally, the heroes finally manage to escape and they head out into whatever's out there. And we go along and sure enough, they go through the sandstorm and this old mall. And yep, they were zombies. All right. It's like up and close. And I'm like, I'm watching a zombie movie. Why am I watching? I have no interest in a zombie movie for lots of reasons, you know, just brainless one and two. It's just gross, you know, and I'm just like. And so we're like, I kind of shifted gears from Friday night entertainment with a family to more of like, okay, this is a study of culture. Now, I don't know why other people like zombies, but I'm going to find out like, who would be these people? I'm looking, you know, like, which around here, like into the zombie genre, you know? And after about our second or maybe our third zombie scene, I'm like, this is horrible. This is tedious. Stop stopping and looking back and like creating drama. Just run. They want to bite you. They want to, like, this is bad. This is just like, it just got too tedious and gross. And we're just like, click. <laughs> like, okay, I have seen enough. I really wanted to be able to say I've seen one zombie movie. So I can say I've seen half a zombie movie as of today. And if you've never seen one, you ain't missing anything. I mean, just, I'm guessing they all have like the same thing. See zombie, run from zombie, go some other place, find other zombies, run from those zombies, go to some other place. Like it's just kind of a thin plot, you know, it's just it's kind of the way it, it rolls. But anyway, we laugh about all of that. But in all seriousness, there are, is a ridiculous number of parallels of zombies to our reality as sinners in this world. Now, if you don't, if you're not versed in the zombie world, and I'm really not versed, but I think the basic idea is you get bitten and there's some sort of disease. It's always terminal. You always end up going crazy and you end up like, you know, whatever kind of creepy stuff. And you always end up turning on the people you love and, and all of that. And it's the same way with our sin. It's 100% fatal. We all end up getting it. We all end up with this defectiveness, brokenness in our lives that God never intended in our lives. And along the way, we end up biting and hurting and causing havoc in the lives of the people around us. And we start wandering around and we're in a deep need of a cure that we cannot get ourselves. And in this particular movie, I'm not about ready to say the hero is a was was a picture of Jesus, because I did go online, like, I got to at least know what the final plot was, and it got worse as it went along. Like, yeah, it's still pretty thin, but basically the one hero, his blood, like, could cure everybody. So I'm like, well, yeah, that kind of is what Jesus did, but the difference is Jesus died for sacrifice for our sins. So 
while we are in a very real way, we are alive physically, but we are dead spiritually, the Bible says, as we live in this world. And there are some realities. When you wake up in a zombie world, thank the Lord we don't ever do that. You have to figure out what the new realities are. And we're going to talk about that. What are the realities or some of the realities in this passage about you and me, about our lives, that we're born in this world, but that sin has caused in our lives? Just some practical explanations. And hold on, because there is great news and a cure at the very end. All right? So hang with me. So read with me, if you would, Romans chapter 5. Now, let me give you a little disclaimer. We read Romans 5. This is a little... This is Paul is just... If Paul would have been like a calculus teacher, he would have been like, you're sitting in class, like, Paul, what? Like, talk to me in English, man. Like, what are you trying to say? He's just so detailed, and it's good. But the key to get this passage is this. There are two kingdoms. The kingdom of sin that rules in our lives, that came to us through Adam, and there is the kingdom of grace that God brings through the second Adam, which is Jesus, that's greater than first. And Paul is comparing those and showing us how we're all sinners, and that we've all been messed up, and that one man Adam, because of that we all are in sin, but then the new Adam, the new Jesus Christ who came, brings grace and righteousness and goodness. And he's comparing those two in this passage, all right? And we'll talk about the implications, but let me, let me read it first. So read with me, if you would, in Romans 5 here in verse 12. The Bible says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Really profound truths in here that you need to lock in and not forget ever. For sin indeed, in verse 13, was in the world before the law was given. We were sinners before God ever told us no. We were doing wrong before He ever gave us any rules. But sin is not counted where there is no law. It's not magnified, if you will. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Moses gave the law, so sin was around before the law was ever given. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. That's Jesus. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, because Adam sinned, he crossed the line that God said don't cross. Many died through that one man's trespass. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Just as Adam sinned and doomed many, Jesus came and he died and through his obedience brought grace and life to many is what it's saying. In verse 16, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification. It's not multiple acts from all of us. It's one person, one Lord Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. That one faithful act that brings righteousness and truth into our life. In verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, 
Not to save us from sin, but to actually increase it. But where sin increased, this is huge, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Five realities that I want us to point to, and I'm really going to just talk about some practical implications of these for our life. And the first one is the sin source or the source of sin. Look what verse 12 says. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. The Bible tells us that when God stepped back from making this world, just after, I don't know how you roll when you mow the lawn or you bake something or you paint something or you do your home project, you look at it and examine it, how did I do? And if you're like me, I'm like, ah, that's pretty good. I kind of messed up here a little bit there. Yeah, I could have done better here. When God stepped back and looked at the world, He said, perfect. Nothing wrong, could not have made it better. Nothing bad, no evil, everything was absolutely good. What that means is, is that God is not the source of sin in this world. And because God's not the source of sin, He's not the source of death either. Sin and death came into this world, the Bible says, through one man. Adam was patient zero. He was the first, he and his wife were the first ones that sinned against God in heaven. Now, practical implication is, is when you see death in the world, that's not God's fault. That's our fault. When you see brokenness in the world, that's not God's fault. That's our fault. When you see things that are not working well, you see problems in the world, you see disagreements, you see broken relationships, you see disease. When we see anything in this world that's not good, corruption, evil, whatever it may be, that's not God's fault. That is 100% always our fault. Now, we can't necessarily always say, well, because I did this, this is what happened to me. Sometimes when we see wrong in this world, we can point to a person who did it. But what it really means is as a class of people, as a species, as a people in general, it's because of our sin that we ushered in brokenness and death and destruction and separation and violence and all the horrible things in this world, that it is not God's fault whatsoever. And if you've been in church for very long, that's not a new concept to you. However, how often when bad things happen, do we step back, even as followers of Jesus, we're kind of like, well, God, why did you let that bad thing happen? And we kind of put that blame back on God if we're not careful. Well, God, this, why is this happening to me? And God's looking at us like, yeah, I know this is bad, but that's really not what I wanted. Like when I was done making this, this world was great. And yeah, I'm in control of the world, but the messes that are in the world and that you're going through are not my fault. They're our responsibility. And that's hard. So what it means is, is that we need to say, God, I'm going to trust you. It means actually God is really trustworthy because He never does anything bad, never has anything, evil thoughts, any evil intentions, wicked motives, never trying to undermine, never trying to get at us or anything like that. That He can always be trusted. It's the world around us, and including our own selves, that's the source of the problem. Because of that, we need to be really careful with who our heroes are in this world. Do we not? That means that 
God is the only one who's really worthwhile being a hero. He is alone the one that we can trust, that, that we look around and say, it's us who have messed this up. We've seen the enemy, and the enemy is us, as it were. Just completely our fault. Now, when, we, when you're talking with coworkers and friends and students, and students, when you're in school and your friends are like, why did God let this happen, and why did this bad thing happen? It's probably not the best time to get into a deep theological dive of, well, let me tell you, because of all the sin, it's really your fault that this happened because your friend's going to be like, my mom just died and you're telling me it's my fault, it's her fault? Like, that's not the time to get into that world. Along the way, you love and you care and you cry with people and support them in this messed up world just the way you want people to love and care and cry with you but when people really are in a different situation and they're trying to you know, lay some things at feet, when people are having those theological, spiritual debates, well, I don't believe in God because if there really was a God, why is all this bad happening? Maybe a good place to start with them say, wait a minute, you're giving God an awful lot of credit because you're saying God's like ruling and in charge of all of this? Like That's a good starting point. Work with that and say, okay, I kind of agree with you. God really is in charge of this world, but let's look at this for a minute. Let's go a little bit further. If you're going to say that God's responsible for all the bad stuff in this world, then let's give God credit for a lot of good stuff too because there's a whole lot of good things out, out there that we get to see and involve and start them thinking about that a little bit and talk through a little bit more about some of this other stuff and unpack it to help them because we cannot live in this world with our heads screwed on straight even just mentally and socially in all kinds of ways if we don't get this. There's a God in heaven who loves us and made this world perfect and good, and any mess we see is always on us as people. God is not the source of sin. Adam is the source. By the way, why does the Bible name Adam as the one responsible? When you go back and read Genesis 3, do you know who first took of the fruit? Who, who was it? It was actually Eve. The Bible said Eve saw it. She was the one tempted. And she took the fruit and ate it and gave it with Adam. In fact, Adam kind of knew what was going on. Eve didn't. She got fooled. Adam kind of knew it, which really was more on him. But it's really a picture. The Bible lays the responsibility on Adam. Because all throughout the Bible, the Bible, God puts the responsibility, men, on you as husbands. It's your responsibility. You know, we talk about the whole, and there's always challenges about, you know, the roles and men and women and all that, and who's leader and all of those things. Let me, let me just tell you, ladies, there is a wonderful truth in here. My wife at multiple times has said, you know what? This isn't as bad. Like, we get to heaven, and it's on you, honey. Like, you're responsible. Like, there's some blessing to be able to say, you know what? You're the one that's really, it's your name that's on the hook. You're really the one more responsible. Adam's the one that's called out. Even though that he didn't technically bring sin into the human race, Eve did, he was the one responsible as the husband in the family and wasn't there and helping his wife like, hey, honey, that is not cool. We're not going down that road. He never did that. He did what so many of us do as men. We're like, well, okay, honey, I'll just go do it two, and that's never a good thing. So Adam and Adam and Eve are patient zero, if you will, and the whole world since sin has been infected. That's the second thing I want us to recognize is the spread of sin or sin, sin spread. Because the Bible says that sin came into the world through one man 
and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. There's some theological theories about exactly how that got transmitted. <laughs> kind of like COVID. Where did COVID come from? You know, there's lots of theories running around. You may believe you've got the exact reason and how it all happened, but ultimately, nobody really knows, and even this passage doesn't fully explain exactly how sin goes from Adam and how the rest of us, but we live in the reality that it did, because Adam and Eve sinned, Every one of us that come after them have that exact same disease, and we have all sinned. We have all the word sin means to miss the mark. We've all not lived up to the perfection and expectations of God. We have all fallen short. We've not even made it to the target, if you will, to what God was planning and what God wanted to do. And so that has spread to every one of us, every single one of us today. There's not a person you will meet that has not been zombified with sin. Not one. Now let's think about some practical implications there. That means when you, some of you when you were dating and are now married, or that means some of you that have not yet met somebody that you're thinking about marriage, and when you went through that early phase of just thinking, this person is perfect. They don't ever do anything wrong. They're wonderful. They just love me. Isn't this great? They complete me. They're my soulmate. And we're, some of you are laughing because you're like, I can't believe people think that. And what you don't realize is like, yeah, you thought that too. <laughs> you just are older and have forgotten it. You know, We all did that. It's called being in love and the honeymoon and all of those kinds of things. And truth of the matter is, is you're marrying another zombie. You're a zombie and you're marrying another zombie and you're going to have little zombie kids. And you're going to live next door to other zombie families. And eventually, you're just going to be running around zombieing everybody. It's just kind of the sinful world that we're in. And we laugh, but it kind of takes a little bit of the shine off to say, whoa, why do we hold people up to such high expectations that are not reality? Everybody around us has this. Not a person that we meet that doesn't have us. There's only room for one hero, and his name is Jesus. It means everybody in this room is going to let everybody else down at some point in our lives. I don't know why sometimes at churches we don't even realize that. Don't give more grace than we should. See, we all have that sin in our life. That disease has been passed along. By the way, to young moms in the room, that means that perfect little baby that you hold... That little kid's a zombie too, already. And they're perfect, and they look so wonderful. You wouldn't let any germ or anything come near them, and you wouldn't let anything bad, or, and you're like, you're checking references for everybody around you. It, when you have your first kid, some of you forgotten, because it's been long enough ago, but you did that too. You're like, who is that guy? They looked at my kid funny. I better be a background check on him. I need to make sure who everybody else is around me and everything. But what we don't realize is, is that our little kid is already messed up and they've got this disease already come into this world. Third thing I want you to recognize, not only is it, is it a sin, patient zero, that God's, God's not the source of it, we are. Not only that, but it has spread to every one of us. It is 100% contagious and continues on however it does. And it's the third thing I want you to recognize is the seriousness of it. This is, this is bad. 
that because of this sin, death is what spread to everybody. Adam brought death. Adam and Eve brought death into the world through sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We talked about that a chapter or two ago. That because we do wrong, we earn death in this world. And that death has a sense spread to every one of us because we have all sinned. We have all done wrong against a holy God. And this, this death is so significant that it's not just that, well, I'm going to live my life till I'm 100 years old and then I die. We all did that when we were younger, and those of you who are younger are probably doing it now. Like, we think we've got the next 50 years in front of us, and sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. This is not talking about just ultimately physically physical death. What it means is we've got death right now. We live under the curse of death, not the threat of dying later on, I'm not talking about the bubonic plague that might come in or the next round of COVID or whatever else might come or take us out or the driver that that T-bones us and kills us in the car. We live in this reign, this tyranny that sin and death rules over us. You see, that's what this passage is talking about is that through that one person, we all became sinners and and that, that sin ruled and it reigned for us. In verse 14, it's yet Adam, death reigned from Adam to Moses. That word reigned, and it's talked about several times in this passage. It's, it, it literally means to rule. It is a dictatorship because you and I are sinners. We are under the power, control, and authority of sin and death in our life. We can't escape it. That has full 100% control over our lives. There's no evading it. There's no getting around it. And it, it completely dominates and rules everything in our life. And it happened because of Adam. It reigned through him. God didn't set this up. We brought it into this world. And it's the source of brokenness and destruction today. It's not just death tomorrow. It's experiencing that death and destruction and brokenness that heartache and all of the things in our lives today. That we live under the rule of that. That's why sometimes when we just like, I don't know how to stop doing what I'm doing. We feel out of control and we feel like this sin and just the, the mess in our lives just rules over us. That's why when we struggle trying to help other people and we're like, why are they stuck? Why can't they get out of it? It's because they're living with sin and death, controlling and living over their, their lives. And the Bible in this passage is so, uh, so clear and specific, but it talks about sin in a couple of ways. And it talks about it not just being uh, sin is missing the mark, but if you notice, it talks about Adam, who didn't just sin, but he transgressed. Look at what verse 14 says, not like the transgression of Adam. And it goes on in verse 15, not like the trans- trespass. I counted in here. Sin is referred to in here like 18 or 19 times. That's like two a verse. Like It is just wham, 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 wham. This idea of transgress. See, we often talk about sin generically. Sin just means you've messed up, you didn't do right, you didn't live up to God's standard. Transgress is where God puts a line in the sand 
And he says, don't go over there. And we take our big, ugly toe, and we flop it right over the line, knowing full well God says there's a line. You cross that line, you've done wrong. You see, Adam knew there was a line. He didn't just wasn't generically morally wrong. He knew where the line was. Don't eat of that fruit. And he disregarded God anyway. You see, the seriousness of sin is that you and I just don't generally fall short of what God's doing. Like, yeah, I'm not perfect. Most of us are willing to accept that reality. Transgressions and trespass are more calculated. It's not just, you know, like uh, involuntary manslaughter. It's like premeditated murder. You and I consciously knew what God was saying, don't do. And we plotted and we planned and we figured it out and we did it anyway. Like it's calculated. It is on us. And it's brought death into our lives and it brings death into the lives of other people around us. What that means is that you and I cannot fall back on all the excuses that we try to fall back on. Now, as for the parents in the room, when our kids were younger, if we knew they were tired, we knew kids got a little cranky when they're tired, right? What's, what is it, hangry? Hang, angry and hungry, you know? Like, we all get a little hangry, you know? But you know what I've noticed? God never gives an excuse. We do as humans, and that's probably healthy. You know, they're just having a bad day. They just have had a tough time. But in God's world, there are no excuses. You never see one excuse in the Bible, do you, ever, of a person doing something wrong. In fact, the other times we do when people make excuses, you don't see any legitimate excuse that God's like, oh, yeah, I think so. You just had a bad day. We'll just we'll write that one off. No, every excuse that we see in the Bible, God's like, yeah, that one's not good enough. That one's not good enough, you know. Cain, where's your brother? Oh, I don't know. Am I supposed to take care of him? Yeah, you kind of are. Why'd you kill him? Like, if you do right, you don't have to worry about it. Adam and Eve, why did you sin? Well, every excuse. You know, we see this with kids. But can I tell you, kids grow up and they become adults, and they use, we as adults use the exact same excuses. We just get more sophisticated with them, and we put terms to them, and we put language to them, but we still use them. And what I see today, especially in the, more in the psychological realm of things, we may understand why somebody may be hungry or hurting or maybe gone through difficulties in life or having some struggles and maybe we should be more merciful to them but we act as if those excuses are sufficient for bad behavior and sin and God never gives us that out anywhere in scripture never at all and the disease is is this is really bad that we have all willfully disregarded, disobeyed, and done wrong. Everybody in Scripture, because they live in zombie land, have experienced the wrongs of what others have done to them. Every person. Some people have experienced more than others. Some of you have experienced some really difficult things in your life. 
And those hurts and those things are real and they go down deep and you're having to wrestle through with those. But those are not an excuse for you to turn around and be wrong and do wrong and treat others inappropriately. You can't go back and blame others. I mean, think how that was going to play out. We get to heaven. Well, God, you know, I was really, uh, yeah, that was a bad day. But, you know, my mom didn't really raise me right. Like, she was just an angry woman, and she was just really hard on me and gave me too many rules, and I'm just kind of a, an angry person, you know? And God's like, yeah, that's still not good enough. Yeah, you're right. I, so is my mom's fault. Well, what's God's choice at that point? Well, okay, well, let me go interview your mom. Mom, why, why did you treat your son that way? He's doing wrong. Well, you got to see, that's not my fault. He was a bad kid and did all these other things. And why? well, okay. God would just be running around like, is there anybody I can hold accountable? Like, we would all be blaming stuff on everybody else. No, God has mercy on us and He loves us and He knows that we've gone through hard things, but He holds each and every one of us accountable. This disease is serious. This sin stuff is serious and we're responsible and we're in a world, even as adults today, that we, um, we love to fall back on those excuses. And, and, and hear me, there are medical things and there are things that are challenges we need to work through. I'm not talking about some of those things. But I am cautioning us to be a little careful with some of the things because this has become convenient. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the medical world isn't able to get reimbursed for or like the, the uh, therapists and psychologists unless they come up with a diagnosis. So when you go in to see them and just like, well, I don't feel bad, I'm just in a whatever, and just, they've got to diagnose you. They got to find a problem to get paid. And usually the problem that they find has a nice big long word to it, you know? And they use technical words and all of it, and you and I are like the kids, you're like, oh my goodness, that's what I've got? Like, I'm not a, a doctor, what is it? It's a subdural hematoma, right? Isn't that just like, oh my goodness, is that deadly, Doc? Yeah, no, it's just a bruise. Oh, okay. Isn't that a bruise? Who are the medical people in the world? I meant to look it up, I didn't. And so what happens is, is our kids and even us, like, oh, I knew it, I'm broken. This is, I've got this whole thing. And, and we may have some stuff in there that we need to work through and need some mercy and help with, but this is subtle. We start making excuses for our behavior, and we have an out. And... God's looking at us like, yeah, no, you just live in zombie land where you've got a mess and they've got a mess and everybody's got a mess, but you are still responsible for your life. This is a serious thing. So what did God do? God's solution was this. This is the fourth thing. I'm going to wrap it up here quickly. He, God actually, rather than just giving us the solution, I'm going to get to that in just a minute, He actually tried to make sin increase, and He did. That's what the Bible says in verse 20. The law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You know why God gave the law? Because He knew we couldn't solve this on our own. So to bring to our mind, to help us understand how bad it is, He said, i got to give them some standards. Because they're sinning all over the place and they don't even know it. So I'm going to have to give them some just basic rules. He didn't... We don't realize it, but the holiness of God, God could have dropped a million rules on us. And it still would not match the holiness of God. He just did a few. We look at the Old Testament and think that there's a lot. There's actually not that many in comparison to the holiness of God. He says, i got to give them some rules. That way they can see that they're messed up. You know what the laws are? They're like an x-ray. 
They're an MRI. They're a sonogram. They are God saying, let me show you what's on the inside. You aren't feeling too well in your chest. Here is why. You've got a problem inside. So that he, as the doctor says, see that right there? That's called sin. And you are bad and you are doing wrong and you've got a disease. You need me to help you and to save you. That's why God gave us all of the rules. We as people are ones that flipped it around and thought, well, if I just do enough good stuff, I can overcome it. No. The law is there to just shine a light to show us where we're messed up. So that is a huge thing. That means for you, mom and dad in the room, that little child that you have that, that you've been entrusted by God that's completely broken. I mean, this is, this is really kind of messed up. When you go to the store, you want to buy something new, you want it to work, right, the first time. If you buy a car and it doesn't, the door doesn't show like it's supposed to, like you go back, like, hey, this car doesn't work. Fix it, please. You know, it's under warranty. We are marrying broken people. We are, or we are birthing broken people. Like, we are getting broken goods. And, of course, there's frustration in the middle of all of that. And parents, what God wants to do is to help you to teach your kid that they're broken too so that they can in turn look to Jesus for salvation. And as parents, as we get this backwards, we think like this kid is perfect and I don't dare want to break him. I don't do anything wrong. I'm so scared I'm going to mess it up. They're already messed up. <laughs> and they just are. Don't just relax. They're, you can't break them anymore and they already came into this world. They're, they're messed up. What God is actually going to do is entrust you to teach them His law. That means, mom and dad, you've got to give them rules. Not to make your life better. That's a parenting mistake. We usually put rules down, and I'm guilty of it like you did, to make your life convenient. Oh, I don't, that's a problem. I don't like that. Okay, new rule, everybody. We're going to do it this way, because that took me too much time to fix this and clean this. That's not the kind of rules that God wants us to give. The rules God wants us to give them are like, Hey, you really are a sinner. Let me put this rule in place to prove to you that you're a sinner so that one day that kid will realize, oh, wow, I have done wrong, and I need God to help me. Our world of parenting has that so reversed, and we are predisposing kids to not trust Jesus, to not look to a Savior, and it's the opposite of everything else means that you and I need to establish those boundaries and those realities. Those of you that are supervisors in the workplace, same deal. Like we, Those laws are there for a reason to show us that we're wrong. And God does that because He loves us. He doesn't give us the rules because He doesn't love us. He doesn't want us to have fun because He just wants to rain on our parade and keep us around fun. It's actually it's the opposite. He wants to give us life, but He's got to show us the law so that we see how messed up we are because we're under the tyranny and the, the control of sin and death so that we can see grace and look to what He did on the cross and want to live in a different kingdom. We want to stop running from zombies. We want to stop being the one that's going around biting and making a mess in, in our lives and the lives of other people. And instead, we want His solution of sin, which is grace. That's what he's talking about. He says, this grace comes through one man. One man. This grace in verse 17 and the free gift of righteousness reigns in our life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
so that, and down in verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign in righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, what God wants to do is to get you out of the control of sin and death and destruction and transgression and put you under the control and the leadership and the authority of His grace and of His righteousness in your life. And we'll talk more about this next week for Easter because Paul talks about it in detail in chapter 6. But what God does is He breaks the control of sin in your life. We sing about freedom. The freedom that God gives us is not freedom to just be wild, crazy people. He gives us freedom to actually live outside of the tyranny and control of sin and death and to live in life and eternal life and righteousness and in the kingdom of His grace where grace rules in our life. Not death, but His grace to the point that when, regardless of what sin that we've ever done, however high that mountain has ever risen in our life or will ever rise in our life, that His grace in verse 20, abounds even more. When sin increases, grace always goes up even higher. Goes up more, grace always goes higher. You see, grace will always cover over all that you and I have ever done in heaven, in this earth. It overcovers everything in our life. Folks, there is freedom in that. That practically means you and I can live a different life. That means you and I can live with a hope and an endurance in our life. That means that we live under the, 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 the leadership of the tyranny of God, not the tyranny of sin and death. That means that, yeah, while we still have a sin nature in us, that we voluntarily go back to that sin, it doesn't control us. And for the first time in our lives, God has empowered us and through the Holy Spirit leads us into life and righteousness and leads us into what He desires. Folks, pragmatically, when we're trying to help people in our world that are sinners, they can't get out of their sin until they're under the authority of another. They can't get away from that. Too often we're trying to manage and control the bad behaviors and all of that with people. And, and many of you work in services where that's all you can do because you can't talk about the real solution and you're just trying to put boxes and boundaries, trying to keep people from hurting others and themselves, and you're just trying to you know, hold it into place. But be careful, because that's not the way we operate in our families. The way that the world teaches you to do that, whether you're in a school system or in counseling situations and all of that, that's not the way that you manage. We, the real solution is over here. People need deliverance from sin and from their own disease. And so God's given us that responsibility to, to help people to point out those things. That's why we talk about sin and righteousness, not to wallow in it, because it's the step to living in the grace-filled kingdom of our Lord. And that's what's exciting. And this morning, to celebrate that, a tangible thing is we have the Lord's Supper for us today. And I can't think of a better way. I've probably said that several times lately, but Romans is kind of one of those passages that, that it's a reminder. When we participate in this, and you can grab those in the chairs in front of you, we participate in that this morning. It's a tangible reminder that we live under the kingdom control of 
someone else. Not our control, not our own zombiness, not our own sinness, but under the grace of Jesus. And, and God gave us a tangible thing. You know, he gave us something that, in a picture and tangible, even kids get. Some, you know, was, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't understand all the development that goes into people, but I do know that kids tend not to think in the abstract as clearly as we do as adults. And God gave us a very concrete kind of thing, like a picture, right? A picture of his body and a picture of his blood. Not to actually save us. These things can't do that. If there's anything, all of this, it's what Jesus did, his blood and his faith, and what he did on the cross that saves us. None of the things we do on this earth does it. But it's a reminder, a tangible, experiential reminder that we live under a different king, a different kingdom, a kingdom of grace, a kingdom of life, a kingdom of forgiveness, a kingdom of righteousness. And so the Lord's Supper is meant to be for everyone who has surrendered their life to Christ and put their trust in Him and turned from their sins and looked to Jesus, what He did on the cross, so that alone for salvation. The Bible says when you, when you take that step of faith, that surrendering faith, you become a child of God. You are a believer. You are a follower of Jesus. You're no longer trusting yourself. You're no longer trusting a church or somebody else or a denomination. You're trusting in Jesus alone. And for those individuals, he says, do this regularly. Like, this is meant to be just a, a reminder. Look Like looking at a picture, you know, you look at a, some of you look at a loved one and a picture in the past to remember somebody you love. I'm glad Jesus didn't give us a picture because we'd put it up and probably start worshiping it and idol, you know, and, and bowing down to it because we just tend to be that way as people. But he gave us something to reenact, to, to remember him by to encourage us and remind us that we live in the kingdom of another. So this morning, as we participate in this and think about the whole message, you know, what is God trying to speak into your heart about in your own life with your own? Are you living like you're free of sin? Or are you kind of going back, playing in the mud? Or are you living under his kingdom and grace? Are you living in such a way that you're expecting other people who don't know Jesus to live differently? Like, there's a lot of zombies in the world. And that's reality. Do you need to change the way you look at your own kids or your own spouse? You're expecting people to be more than what's reality. And are you looking to Jesus, recognizing that He saved you, who was, is, a, is a mess and is a sinner, and put you with somebody else who's a sinner, and together you're just figuring out the grace of God in your life and making it work. And I'm going to read that passage again just to reflect on what Jesus did for us. He says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, we're all condemned, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Jesus died on the cross, which is pictured in this wafer. His body died for us. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but sin increased. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Won't you pray with me? Father, thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus. Thank you that 
Lord, regardless of what we've all done in our past, that your grace is greater. Thank you for this new kingdom that we live in. Thank you for the deliverance from sin, for forgiveness, for righteousness, for the grace that we did not earn and did not deserve, but you purchased through the blood of Jesus on the cross. Lord, we celebrate you. Help us to live with these truthful realities in our heart every day. Lord, we, we won't get it perfect, and we will make mistakes, and we will still sin. But Lord, help us to increasingly live out these truths daily, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 